Thanks for downloading the UWL Alumni Voices podcast. I'm your host, Josh Van Campenet. This is part of our season of getting some tips, advice, and insights and what it takes to work and live in their city. And we're going live into Sydney with Simone Show, seasoned CPO. And Simone has kindly given up her time to have a chat about her career, her time in, in HR, and what it takes to, to live in Sydney. Uh, Simone, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you very much. It's great to be here and great to connect with some current students. Now, you've worked for some iconic Australian companies, including Bankwest, Carnival Australia and, and Foxtel. How did your career journey begin and did you have your career mapped out? No, I didn't have my career mapped out. Certainly when I was at high school, I was always sure that I wanted to work within a corporate business environment but I was not quite sure what exactly that meant. So that's very much why I selected a Bachelor of Arts at UWA. And I initially, in my first year, chose um, economics, political science and industrial relations. Um, And it was really during the course of my university studies that I was um, more and more interested in in the the component of people and the impact of people uh, to drive the success of businesses. Saying that, when I finished university, like a lot of people, um, we come out and we're still not exactly sure where we want to go. And so I spent um, some time then uh, travelling overseas and backpacking and exploring the world and getting some life experiences whilst I was working out what I wanted to do. And then when I came back to Perth, uh, I started looking for my first role and it was actually very, very challenging. So um, what I did initially was get an administrative role uh, working in a company that provided traineeship to the students who were doing apprenticeships. Um, and, and really that was the first step in my career. Um, and then I made sure as part of that, so I think your first job's always a bit of a challenge to get. And so you've got to be very open-minded and just grab onto anything because once you get in within organisations, uh, people who are, are talented and have initiative and they're enthusiastic, you know, there's then opportunities to step into different roles and step across, step up. But really, it's just getting in there first. So what advice do you have to someone, I guess, getting that first opportunity? Because you, you mentioned it, it's quite difficult. You went into a, took an admin role just to get, take that chance. Uh, what advice would you give to somebody who, who might be struggling thinking, oh, my God, I've spent all these years at university and I can't even get a job? Well, look, and it's a really, it's a really good question, and, and I think that every every um, university students that come through always think, oh, the job market's tougher now than it used to be, or, but I, I think it's always difficult, and so that's the advice I'd give is that, really, it's when people for, are at uni, things like casual jobs, absolutely critical. So you you don't actually need experience um, doing a a corporate or business job, but never undervalue. Um, having hospitality experience or any type of experience where you can demonstrate to future employers that you um, you can commit to a job, that you can you know get there, you can show initiative, a responsibility, and all those sorts of things. So, you know, I know for some students it's it's a full time job, but you know, ha- having some type of work experience plays well to p- future employers. And I think most of all is. Don't be locked into thinking what the first role that you have to have. You know, it's any opportunity. As I said, I, I would have never picked myself as being a receptionist, um, but I went into a reception type job and within three months uh, was promoted up. 
Um, I would also say building networks. So things like LinkedIn and any type of social media, leverage your networks. I would constantly get approached on LinkedIn uh, by people asking for advice. And for every five, per, um, five people that might ignore your response, you'll get someone who, um, you know, who is happy to provide a bit of advice or to provide some direction. So you need to build thick skin um, and be very tenacious and be prepared to be sort of knocked back or ignored um, and just keep going because, you know, if you give up the first setback, you're never going to get anywhere. So I think you've really got to be prepared to be tenacious and just, um, you know, look for opportunities. Now, you mentioned LinkedIn. What's the best way or what's the etiquette in regards to approaching you on LinkedIn? Because I, I know a lot of people that they've all had different experiences. You know, you, you see people asking you for advice, but there's always a few people that uh, kind of approach you and just simply be blatant asking for a job. So what is the best way to, what's the etiquette and, and best way to approach you on LinkedIn? Sure. And I think, again, that's a, a good question. And I would strongly recommend uh, graduates, you know, if, if you do send, um, reach out and start targeting employers, because that's a very, you know, it's good to know who you want to work for. So you might come up with a list of uh, possible employers, you know, banks, insurers, you know, whatever part of the, whatever industry you want to go to. Um, and don't target the CEO or, or sort of the necessarily the executive team. You know, be smart about who you're targeting because they are probably going to be too busy. So really start researching on recruiters. Um, I think internal recruiters are, you know, an untapped talent because they, you know, need to fill roles. They know what roles are coming up. And if you start building relationships with internal recruiters, so, you know, if you're interested in working, say, at Bankwest or, you know, where I've worked, at, um, at a Foxtel, you know, go online and research through LinkedIn and work out who are some of those frontline talent acquisition managers or recruitment managers and start reaching out to them. Because you would be surprised after a while, you know, just regular catch-ins with them and flagging with them when a job that, that comes up that is perhaps matches your experience, um, you know, they will start remembering you. So I think be smart about who you're targeting on LinkedIn. Um, and, and maybe not approaching CEOs or executives, but really looking at the recruitment teams or some of the technical experts within areas, you know, within the finance team um, versus maybe the chief financial officer and build relationships in there. No, that's really good advice. Uh, one thing in, in your profile you mentioned, the world is constantly changing. Career opportunities and options can come in all shapes and sizes. Now, you've worked in Sydney for 10 plus years now. If, if someone says they want to work in Sydney, uh, what do they need to know and what role can a recent graduate expect fresh out of uni? Look, you know, as, as a West Aussie or a West Australian graduate, of, a graduate of UWA, you know, I was very fortunate that, and I deliberately, I always knew that I wanted to move to the East Coast. Um, and I struggled initially to find a job in Perth. Uh, but uh, my first job sort of in a, in, a, in a larger corporate was with the Water Corporation. Um, and having that larger corporation gave me, you know, was good on my resume. And then in, I, I was enabled um, to target Bank West, who I knew was expanding globally. So I think, you know, I would, I would encourage people to um, be targeting organisations with maybe a West Australian you know, with West Australian roots or West Australian branches um, with an East Coast presence as well. So, you know, that they've got sort of a globe, a, a, a national business 
Um, the other opportunity, and you know, if if you've got courage and you back yourself, I think once you graduate, it's it's also really good just to um, get on a plane and head over to Sydney. And even if you're working in a cafe or in sort of a hospitality or not your ideal end job, but sort of establish um, some roots and actually start applying for here, uh, applying here when you're here, because the reality is. When you're out there in the market, you know, you do need to be able to respond quickly to face-to-face -face interviews, and I think it does get more challenging. So, um, you know, either work for a uh, business that's national, so you might start in, in Perth and then get transferred uh, once you've been with the business for a year or so. But if you really do want to work on the East Coast, I would say that you would need to come over for a few months and actively, you know, apply from here. You can apply from over uh, from in Perth, but the challenge will be that, you know, you'll end up on a plane very regularly. And people would like to see that you're very much committed and that you have roots um, on the East Coast in, you know, in Sydney or Melbourne. So it is often easier if you're applying when you're already living here. Now, you've worked for Carnival Australia how did you transform the cruise industry and becoming the fastest growing market in the world? And can you explain, I guess, to people what Carnival Australia is and, you know, what were the types of roles you were recruiting for in that role as well? Yeah, sure. So when I joined Carnival Australia, it was at a really interesting uh, sort of point in the, in the company's history. So around about 2004, uh, prior to me joining, there was um, the cruise industry in Australia was very immature. P&O Cruises at that time was, uh, better known sort of as a bit of a uh, booze cruise you know lots of young people on there really just getting on there to drink a lot and have a good time um, we had a very terrible and tragic incident on board which ended up on the front new page of the newspaper we had a, a, a fatality on board uh, a woman dying brimble it was one of the most high profile news stories for the next few years um, and that really overnight the business just cra really crashed. We had no bookings and it was front page of the newspaper. Wow. So over the next few years, they brought a new CEO in, um, Anne Sherry, um, and she had no cruise industry background, but she was a very well thought of, were, were very well respected female leader. And then she bought, went about um, sort of transforming the executive team. And we came in and our number one priority was to move from the um, concept of a booze cruise and create a family product. So we really wanted to attract a whole new market. We want families to come on, have great food, great experience, and create wonderfully wonderful memories um, with their family and friends. And and so we had to completely transform the product. And really key to any cruise product is the crew. So we have usually around 900 crew per ship, um, and that's made up of 63 nationalities around the world. So you can imagine it's a very complex business. And we really needed to therefore, you know, when you're going about changing the product, that means you're cooking different, um, you're providing different meals, a different menu, um, all of the onboard activities are different. Um, even the service, the way we, um, you know, changed the, the turned over the rooms each day, changed the rooms, the kids club, everything was transformed which really means, meant we needed a new customer service ethos and a, and a way we interacted and served customers. So it was an incredible role. We went about doing that and we had double-digit growth year on year for the eight years that I was there and we became the number one holiday choice for Australians, which was incredible. Yeah, because I was wondering, what, what were your expectations of, of your staff? Like, was there much turnover as well, I guess, 
I guess, before the booze cruise to turning into the family-friendly cruises? We did have um, higher... We actually had much higher turnover, certainly with our crew on board. Um, and shoreside, I mean, we didn't actually have... as we, we grew our shoreside operations as we, you know, developed a more complicated and sort of a, a better product. So our shoreside operations became much larger as well. But certainly our crew, um, the, the crew experience, was much better and they got you know you get much more job satisfaction when you're you know with the new product and when you're delivering a service that you know is um is clearly meeting the needs of our customers much better so we um and our crew look the reason we had a great brand and why our customers loved our product and still love cruising is purely because of the um, crew. Our ships in the P&O fleet are the oldest in the global fleet. The Carnival, brand, Carnival Cruises has around 100 ships globally and P&O Cruises makes up four of those. But we have the oldest four ships in the fleet, yet we have some of the top customer satisfaction scores because our ships are so much fun and it's all down to our crew. So in regards to your role, did, were you ever physically on the ships? Were you ever physically reviewing how the staff were handled? Were you, you going in, in secret so they didn't know who, who you were? No. I mean, I was never in secret, but we, I was on, all the time, on board all the time. Again, in any, um, you know, even if you're frontline or right up to the executive team, you know, it's so important um, when you're working in a business that connects with customers to be connected to customers because when you're sitting in head office looking at reports, you don't really get a true sense of what's happening and you, you need to live and breathe and experience the product. So, you know, I would be on board all the time and not just talking to crew, but talking to our customers and, and really getting direct feedback from crew and from customers um, and making sure that, you know, that we were delivering the best possible um, product and service that we could. Now, you're on the editorial board of Inside HR and a member of the International HR Directors Forum. Um, can you talk about which jobs are the most in demand at the moment? Yeah, I mean, look, the world of work is constantly changing, but more and more, you know, all of, a lot of the admin and, and a lot of ad roles, because I was, I was reflecting on this in preparation for this chat today, you know, I think about the roles that were available when I was at uni, you know, 20 odd years ago, and it's completely different um, now. So there's a lot more in, obviously, in the digital space, and that's both in, you know, digital marketing, uh, any type of digital research, data is huge. So, you know, I, I keep thinking one of the, the roles at Carnival and at, at Foxtel that we would struggle is a data scientist and data scientists and uh, people who are able to not just pull data and collate data, but really interrogate data. So um, data and research roles are becoming um, certainly more and more. Um, and certainly um, HR roles continue to grow, but the more the HR roles are really now around, um, which is very exciting because HR used to be very transactional. Um, and very operation, uh, very operationally focused. So we used to have to pump out a lot of things like contracts, do a lot of, a lot of administrative tasks. Now a lot of that's done by systems and it's automated, which allows much more strategic roles. So things like a lot of leadership coaching, um, a lot of training and development, and you know some of the, it's it's really to me more the fun stuff where you're doing a lot more analysis and then providing solutions to business problems.
So are there any, I guess, sectors as well that are creating, I guess, the greatest opportunities uh, that you haven't mentioned just there? Well, I think all sectors continue. You know, banking is an incredibly interesting business, part of the sort of corporate at the moment because everyone would have seen through the Royal Commission um, last year and a lot of focus on, on banks. Um, there's going to be a lot of change and transformation within banking. So I think it's a real, you know, I think wherever there's disruption is an exciting time. So, you know, banking industry is fascinating. It's going to superannuation insurance, fascinating. Another area that's growing and really interesting is the aged care and healthcare. Um, there's huge growth now with, you know, with a lot of the baby movements moving into, you know, at age of retirement and beyond. Um, the healthcare, uh, aged care is going to be a booming business. And as I said before, healthcare, you know, people are more and more focused on, um, you know, on, on health and personal health. So that's another growing market. Um, and again, we can never can, um, underestimate as well, um, you know, digital and online. And that's, you think of uh, retail, everyone's complaining that Shopfront and, and sort of physical retail, but digital and online retail. So everything associated with that through um, customer uh, and customer acquisition, customer management um, and marketing, it, it's all still happening, but in that digital space, which is really interesting. Now, I'm kind of curious, especially with the companies you've worked for, like what are the type of companies that are look for international candidates? Uh, certain, oh, again, look, Australia um, has a great reputation globally, and that's also Australian universities. So we are already well regarded. You know, I've, I've in myself in sourcing people from around the world. Um, you know, I know that we're uh, certainly any degree from an Australian university is well regarded. Also, the work ethic um, of Australians and people who have worked and studied in Australia is also, um, you know, highly regarded. So, you know, I think that, it, you know, the world is more and more global. So I think, you know, I don't necessarily think it's any type of barrier as you people start their job search. Um, you know, if you've got global experience or, you know, if you've won from one country and then you've studied in Australia, you know, go global, look globally and, and, and look for organisations maybe that have a presence in Australia with a, you know, global office. And most businesses now, you know, all of the the um, professional services, you know, usually have um, a global outlook. You know, the Coca-Colas, a lot of the, you know, there's so many organisations that are global um, and, and I'd, I'd just recommend targeting those. Now, you're passionate about creating a more inclusive world. What are the biggest challenges you face in creating an inclusive environment in the workplace? Look, I think that one of the biggest challenges is that I don't think anyone gets up in the morning, goes to work and thinks, hmm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be inclusive today. Um, mm -hmm. and, and one of the biggest barriers is this unconscious bias that's always been talked about. Um, and, you know, we, we, we're, all, we're all at, you know, we're all at risk of that happening because we're raised and we grow and we think at how we are. And even with the best intention, um, sometimes without even realising it, people are acting in ways or or making decisions with unconscious bias. So, you know, it's, I think that we're, there's no such thing as an end state. It's something that we always have to constantly within organisations challenge ourselves at doing differently and constantly look at the underlying process and systems and ways of work that might inadvertently be causing barriers, um, you know, or, or allowing 
some people to succeed and missing out on groups that are maybe um, could offer a lot more, but because of the the way that you know work processes have evolved or you know decision making's made that might you know without even deliberately meaning to it, it sort of creates um, an environment that is maybe not inclusive. That's why recently we used to talk very much about you know driving diversity. You know diversity was the big buzzword. Whereas now the move is very much around diversity and inclusion mm. um, because, you know, you can have a diverse workforce, but it might not be that inclusive, you know, and you need to make sure that, you know, you're providing an environment that, you know, everyone succeeds, not just people that sort of fit a particular mould or, or communicate in a certain way, you know, that we're, we're providing different ways of, of succeeding. Now, you mentioned in your profile, we should be running our companies like we should be running our families, communities and countries. Uh, where did you learn that from? Myself. <laughs> <laughs> Look, and I guess, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in it. You know, I, as you know, I've actually just spent the last um, 18 months, you know, I've, I've made a very deliberate decision to, um, to, to take a, a step off my career for a period of time because life goes by so quickly and I think that it's really important to keep checking in with ourselves and, um, you know, and, and exposing ourselves to different cultures, different, you know, different environments. And so, you know, I spent the last 18 months based in LA um, and, you know, the Amer what's going on in America is fascinating at the moment. And, you know, what's happening across the world is, is just mind-blowing, really, when I look at, at what's happening. So I think that you know, organisations have a big role to play in, you know, in mirroring how we expect people to, to behave and equally, you know, how we behave at home. We should always be authentic and, and always be respectful of others. And so I think that, um, you know, it is important that we, we show up and we behave and we treat each other. Um, and, and that's both at work, at home, everywhere in, you know, in a really inclusive and it's all right to think differently, you know. I think it's great we should celebrate our differences and, and you know, it, that's one of the great things about the world is everyone's different. But, um, you know, celebrate those differences and channel them into the greater good rather than, you know, this divisiveness which sort of seems to be permeating the world at the moment. And have you been quite selective for who you work for as well? Because I know one of the best advice I ever got from one of my mentors was, you know, go to something, not from something. Is that kind of the way you, the companies you've chosen to work for? Absolutely. And, you know, and it will be, I stand by my values through and through. You know, it's part of the reason I decided to step off for 18 months is that, you know, is that, um, you know, it's always important to be aligning your values to businesses that you work for and being really, really able to be proud of who you work for. And so I think it's, there's nothing more powerful than actually being able to say, you know, this, is, this has been great, but it's not working for me now and being very, very, very selective. Now, I always say to every person, even if, you know, it's a frontline entry-level role, when you're going into an interview, you're not just being interviewed, you're interviewing the organisation. And it's so important that, you know, you look at Glassdoor, you look at different, you know, ask around, go and, you know, talk to people before you make career decisions because, you know, we need to make sure that we're working for businesses that, you know, we are aligned to our values. It's, it's key. And I think good businesses would say, you know, every organisation I've worked for would, would, would equally say that. They want people to be, you know, proud and they want to be making sure that they've got, you know, values that reflect their customer and their employees. So when you've interviewed somebody and, and you know, it comes to that, 
part where you go, oh, have you got any questions for us? What are the type of questions the candidate should be asking the company? Yeah, what a great question. So what are some of the questions? You know, I think I would be asking, uh, ask things like, well, so what are, your, what are the values of the company? Um, what is your mission? And not so much just to find out what those values and mission are, but to find out whether or not the person interviewing you actually remembers them. Because yeah, you'll one. find a lot of, you know, a lot of companies, you know, they have all these things, they're plastered on walls, they have a mission statement, they have, you know, various, um, you know, slogans. But, you know, and, and, yeah, as I said, test to see if, if it's stuck on that person because that will tell you whether or not it's just, you know, a poster on a wall or whether or not in the DNA of a business. Um, I would also ask around the, you know, not just because when you say what's the, you know, what's the leadership cultural, you know, I would also ask how are decisions made in your business? You know, how, how do decisions get made? Um, and how, if, if someone has an idea, what, you know, even if they're a frontline, you know, call centre agent or, you know, you know, down at the bottom of the pecking order, you know, how, if I have an idea, um, how, you know, how can I voice that idea? What's the opportunity for me to actually communicate? And also, particularly at entry-level roles, you know, find out, um, you know, what, what, how does the CEO interact and, and communicate messages and, you know, you know how, do, how does the executive team engage with employees? Because, you know, in good organisations, um, a CEO will be involved at the shop floor and will, you know, get out there and be very, very, and the, the CEO and executive team will be very visible and very approachable. And if they're not, I'd be asking questions about that company and whether or not you really want to work for them. No, that's, that's really, really good advice. Now, I want to go back to, to Sydney. Uh, what are the best ways to network on and offline in Sydney? Because networking in Sydney and, you know, the population as a whole is a quite a different beast compared to Perth. It is, but equally, um, it, it's just a bigger city. And that's why, I, you know, UWA is a great uni. Um, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm you know, a, a passionate past student. And because there's so many people, even now I continually meet and great, um, you know, great executives, great senior leaders, you know, just really great operators who have started their, you know, started their studies and completed their studies at UWA. So a great starting point is actually uh, using LinkedIn and, you know, and, and linking into people who have been to UWA. So, um, and again, you know, if you reach out to people um, via LinkedIn in Sydney who, and sort of say, I see you're a past student, can you help? you know, more than likely they will be able to point, you know, they might not be able to help you, but they can point you in the right direction. You know, and also just finding out different groups. There's so many different, you know, Google is the best invention ever, um, but Googling and, and finding different things. And I would, you know, one of the first things I did when I moved here was, um, you know, like a lot of people moved to Bondi. I was in a big share house. You know, I bought, joined the local Bondi Surf Lifesaving Club. I also joined a running group. Now they're not work related, but through that I developed networks. So there's lots of ways to develop networks. You know, join book clubs, join, um, you know, various clubs that are aligned to your interests. You know, whatever political your party, Young Libs, Nationals, Greens, whatever you're in, there's local networks within here. You know, really think a little bit differently 
Um, you know, a lot of the um, industry things like the ARI, Australian Human Resource in, um, Industry Network, uh, a lot of the accounting networks, you know, the marketing, there's a marketing network. Get involved, get online, and, you know, they've got a lot of, you know, um, mixes and talks. You know, Google and find out, you know, where some industry um, get-togethers, also um, different networking talk groups, you know, just Google, Google, Google and find out what's available. Because well, there's, there's a no lot shortage. on if you <laughs> yeah. start researching. Yeah, absolutely. There's no, there's no shortage of advice there. That is, that is awesome. Now, ran out of time, but I've got one more question I've got to ask you. And what is the, if you could give one piece of advice to anybody listening to, to this podcast who might be a recent graduate, current student, or looking to change careers, what's that one piece of advice you'd want to give them? So I, I just think that, you know, in life, you have to, you know, don't expect um, that your career is going to be mapped out, you know, don't, and have courage and conviction. You've got to have faith in yourself and you've got to have courage. So, you know, just constantly put yourself out there and take risks, be tenacious and just, you know, just have courage to take risks. That's great. But now, Simone, if people want to get in contact with you or they want to see some of the work that, that you've done, what's the best best way to contact you? Yeah, certainly. Look, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm actively on LinkedIn. I'm, you know, I, I've got it, the app on my phone, on my iPad, on my Mac. So, you know, I'm, I'm responsive. So, as I said, if I can't personally help you, but I'm always happy to connect people in with my network so they can certainly reach out. And obviously, I'm, you know, also on Instagram. I'm on um, Twitter you know, they, any of those those channels, they can reach me at. And, and I'm always happy to help. Perfect. Simone, thank you so much. I've learned so much myself. So I know the other listeners have, but really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to seeing what next part of your journey is going to take you. Fantastic. Thank you. And I've really enjoyed chatting to you tonight.